You know, growing up in church, there are a lot of different words and phrases you hear commonly. One of those phrases I heard often is, Jesus was a friend to sinners. I've seen Christians use it in various ways, including explaining their behavior. Hearing it used so many times in different ways, it had me thinking, what kind of friend was Jesus to sinners? And how do I live that out in today's world? Well, I'm going to be teaching on this and more. So first off, Jesus was a friend to sinners. No one can take that away. God had such a great love for the lost, so much that Jesus, the very Word of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. And He lived a sinless life only to sacrifice it for our redemption and reconciliation with God. John 1 says, So the Word became flesh and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Jesus ministered to the people the religious leaders deemed unclean and the outcasts of society, like the lepers, the woman at the well, who had been married five times only to end up living with the sixth man, the woman who was caught in adultery, and tax collectors, just to name a few. Jesus was willing to minister to all kinds of people, and this is because He demonstrated the heart of God the Father by loving all kinds and ministering to all kinds of people. The Bible in Colossians describes Jesus as the visible image of the invisible God. So if you wanna know what God the Father is like, just look at the life and ministry of Jesus. Jesus also showed God's desire to reconcile the world back to Himself through Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 says, And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to Himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making His appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. God was drawing the world to Himself through Jesus. That was His heart for the lost. Lastly, the sinners were drawn to Jesus. These people were drawn to Jesus because He carried the light, the life, and the love of God in Him. And they were hungry for that. And Jesus didn't shame anyone who wanted to come to Him because of this. But because the sinners came to Jesus, He was criticized by religious leaders. Luke 15, one says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that He was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. The Pharisees hated that. The spirit of religion hates when we draw close to God, but that's God's heart for us, that we may have relationship with Him and God will meet us exactly where we're at and draw Him to Himself. And this is why I love the teaching of Jesus being a friend of sinners, because it shows God's great love for us and the lengths God is willing to go to reach us. It shows us how God's heart breaks for the hurting and the lost and how He desires to restore us back to what He originally designed us for, a relationship with Him in total wholeness in body, soul, and spirit. But this message has also been distorted by people in the church and used for the wrong purposes. And when we distort God's word, we distort God's very image and thus give out a message that can distort us and our understanding of our calling and purpose. So I'm gonna show you what kind of friend Jesus was to sinners and also what he wasn't. Jesus never conformed to those around him. Jesus was a friend to sinners, 
but he never compromised who he was while ministering to the lost. The Bible says he never even sinned once. So while Jesus would eat with sinners, he wasn't getting drunk with them. He never conformed to the world. He only ministered to it. Jesus was in the world, but he was not of the world. And we are called to do the same. We need to remember this world is not our home. So we're not supposed to conform to it. Jesus was also not a people pleaser and he was not influenced by people. Even though he loved people greatly, Jesus was never motivated by people's approval or by what people wanted. If this had been the case, Jesus would have felt defeated when the people turned on him and hated him. Jesus was not motivated by people. Rather, everything he did was for and because of his father. Jesus said only what the Father said. In John 12, Jesus says, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. And I know his commands lead to eternal life. So I say whatever the Father tells me to say. Jesus only did what he saw his Father doing. John 5 says, so Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son, and shows him everything he is doing. Everything Jesus did in his ministry was for his father. And he only said and did what the father told him to. And this is one of the reasons why Jesus prioritized getting away from the crowds and spending alone time with just his father. Even in the busiest and most popular times in his ministry, it was crucial for Jesus to stay connected to his father, hear his voice and seek out his will. Now, while Jesus was a friend to sinners, the world hated Jesus and his own people rejected him. John 1 says, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus knew the world hated him. He even said to his disciples in John 15, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world will love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is no greater than its master. So they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. When you follow Jesus, the world will hate you. Our goal is not to be accepted by the world or be the most popular. Our goal is to please the heart of God and be obedient sons and daughters. Now, even though Jesus was a friend, he still spoke the hard truths. Jesus always spoke the truth in love, but he did speak the hard truths to people, even if it would be considered offensive. Jesus talked about hell. Jesus talked about sin. Matthew 13, 41 through 42 says, the son of man will send his angels and they will remove from him his kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus talked about suffering. So as you can see, he talked about the hard stuff and he wasn't afraid to share the truth. And as believers, we need to do the same. Being a friend doesn't mean not telling the truth because it's offensive. And Christians will use the excuse of not telling the truth because they're being loving or they're not wanting to offend others. But Jesus did just that and he is our example. He never withheld the truth. There's a difference between being loving and merciful and gracious and being simply afraid of what people think and backlash so you don't say anything. Remember, you don't need to protect people from God's truth. God's truth protects people from evil. You simply need to be mature in how you address people and do it in a loving way and meet people where they're at.
Finally, while Jesus was a friend of sinners, He was clear there was a high cost in following Him. In Luke 14, Jesus says, If you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin a construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. So let's just process this for a second. Jesus makes it very clear, we have to count the costs before following. And so I'm just gonna ask you right now to do the same. Think about it. Am I willing to sacrifice everything to follow Christ? We need to consider these things before determining to follow Him because we might have to give up everything, but I know that He's worth it. Also, the sinners who chose to follow Jesus were forever changed. They turned from their evil ways and followed Him. They didn't stay the same. So while Jesus was a friend of sinners, those sinners never stayed the same. If they chose to follow Him, they were forever changed because that's what God's grace and love does to us. I wanted to share a story that greatly impacted me for one of my favorite autobiographies, Living a Life of Fire by Reinhard Bonnke. He's a famous evangelist who's gone on recently to be with the Lord and this book highlights his life and ministry. And when I was preparing this teaching, there was a specific story that I remembered from this book that I wanted to share because I believe it highlights exactly what it means to be a friend of sinners the way Jesus was. So this is in chapter 18, page 223. And this is Reinhard speaking. My phone rang. Brother Harold Horn, someone I had known since my arrival in Lesotho said, Reinhard, come to Kimberly and preach to us. I said, I will come. Friday night, as I sat on the platform, I looked across the gathering of 200 people. Not one young person did I see in the room, not one. I leaned over to Harold who was near me and said, where are the young people? He nodded sadly, acknowledging that I had correctly seen the problem. Every head in the room was gray. I preached, the service was closed, and the people filtered out to their cars to go home. When they had gone, Harold came to me. Reinhard, would you like to see the answer to your question? Would you like to know where all the young people in Kimberly are? Yes, I would, I replied. I will show you, get into my car, and I will take you there. He drove through the streets, turning this way and that, until he came to a large building at the edge of a warehouse district. The building was ablaze with gaudy neon signs. One large sign blinked out the word, disco, disco, disco. The parking lot was jam packed to overflowing with vehicles. As he turned off the key, I could hear the boom, boom, boom of the heavy bass beat coming through the walls of the building. The so-called music seemed to shake the very ground beneath us with an ungodly spirit. This is a den of iniquity, I said sadly. He nodded. This is the latest thing, Reinhard. It is called a discotheque, a dance club. It is a craze that is sweeping the whole world right now, and young people everywhere are very attracted to it. Let's go inside. Oh no, I said, let's go home. I've never gone to such a place. It would be an abomination to me. But as I turned to get into the car, I felt bad inside. I stopped in my tracks. This is when the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. Since I had come this far, something seemed wrong. If I now turned away, but I had no idea what the Spirit wanted me to do. I just couldn't leave. Let's take a look inside, Harold suggested. 
Suddenly, this seemed exactly right. Everything in my spirit said yes. I nodded. Okay, Harold, let's just take a look at this disco. We came to the door and stood there. I felt the spirit say to me very clearly, look inside. I will show you something you do not know. I took a deep breath and opened the door. The blast of the music must have knocked the hair back from my forehead. I had never heard such volume in my life. It was deafening. But it was in that instant that I received a spiritual vision of the reality of the disco. In the flash of the strobe lights, I did not see young people dancing with joy. I saw frozen images of boredom, fear, loneliness, and insecurity, one after the other, captured on the faces of those young people. The split second flashes of life revealed these images over and over and over again, like stop action. Each of those haunted faces spoke to me of emptiness, pure emptiness. Suddenly, I could not care less what anyone thought of me. I knew that I would preach in that disco. Nothing could deny the love of Jesus that I felt. I shut the door and looked at Harold. I heard the Holy Spirit say in my heart, find the owner of this place. So I said to Harold, help me find the owner of the disco. What good will that do? I must talk to him, let's find him now. But what will you say to him? I will ask him to let me preach in his disco. Harold laughed, you won't do that, Reinhard. I will, I absolutely will. Harold followed me now. I inquired inside the disco and we were led to an office at the rear of the building. The owner was a middle-aged businessman who looked to be very much a part of the rock and roll culture. He had long hair, gold chains around his neck, an open collared shirt and blue jeans. I said to him, sir, I've come all the way from Germany. I'm asking your permission to allow me to address the young people in your disco for just five minutes. He looked at me from top to toe. You're a preacher, he said. I was still dressed in my suit and tie. I nodded. He said, if you wanna preach, you should preach in a church. There are no young people in the church, I said. They don't come to the church, so the preacher must come to the young people. Now give me five minutes, only five minutes, I ask of you. You've got to be kidding. He shook his head in disbelief, then turned around and walked away. There is no way, man. He had no sympathy for my plea at all. As he was walking, suddenly the Holy Spirit touched me. He said to me, tell him what you saw when you looked into his dance hall. I went after the man and took him by the arm and turned to face me again. One question, sir, I said, looking deep into his eyes. Do you think the young people find what they need for life in your disco? Slowly, the face of that man changed. He looked down thoughtfully. When he looked up again, he said, it's very strange that you would say that. I have children of my own. I've thought many times that the disco will not give the young people what they need for life. I beg you, sir, give me five minutes with them. He was thoughtful for a moment. Okay, but not tonight. Saturday night, tomorrow night at midnight. I will give you the microphone for five minutes. I grabbed his hand and shook it. It's a deal. Thank you, sir. I will be here. The next night, I dressed in casual clothes. I did not want to look like a preacher just coming from church. I needed disco camouflage. When at last the clock struck 12, the music stopped. I jumped up and onto the stage where the records were being spun. I took the microphone from the disc jockey and shouted, sit down, sit down, sit down. I've come all the way from Germany and I've got something very important to tell you. Suddenly the young people began sitting down everywhere. It was then I realized I was not in church, but in a dance hall. Most of the young people plopped right down on the floor. There they sat smoking cigarettes and chewing gum, waiting for me to tell them something very important that I had brought with me all the way from Germany. I started to preach one minute, 
two minutes, suddenly the Holy Spirit was there. I mean, the wind of God blew into that disco. Suddenly I heard sobbing. I saw young people getting out their handkerchiefs and starting to wipe their eyes, crying everywhere. I had preached enough to know that when people start shedding tears, it's time for an altar call. I said, how many of you want to receive Jesus Christ as your savior? How many want to find forgiveness for your sins and enter God's plan for your life as of tonight? Every hand that I could see in that place went straight up. I said, all right, repeat after me. We pray the prayer of salvation together. My five minutes were up, my work was done. I left walking on cloud number nine, rejoicing, absolutely rejoicing. A year later, I returned to Kimberly. Harold met me at the airport. He said, get in my car, I have a surprise for you. I got in his car. He did not say anything about it. He just drove through the winding streets until he came to the warehouse district. The car stopped. I looked out of the window. I could not believe my eyes. I wiped them and looked again. Instead of seeing the big disco sign, there was a huge white cross on the front of the building. This is not the surprise, Harold said, come inside. We walked up to that door where he had stood one year ago. Are you ready for this, Reinhard? Harold swung the door open and I looked into the packed house full of young people. They were chanting, Bonky, Bonky, Bonky. I cried out with joy. They rushed to me, hugging me and shaking my hands, bringing me inside. One young man said, remember me? I was the disc jockey that night. Another grabbed my hand. I was operating the light show. Another said, we were dancing the night away. Now we are serving Jesus. After you left town, the disco went bankrupt. Harold shouted to me, this disco is a church. He was beaming from ear to ear. A fine looking gentleman came up to me. We heard about what happened to the young people here. My church has sponsored me to come be a pastor to these kids. I stood again on that disco stage, looking at those faces, so different from the ones I had seen in the strobe lights a year ago. The lights were up full now. Even more, the light of the Lord's favor was shining on every face. I pointed my finger to the heavens and shouted, Jesus, Jesus, and they shouted back to me as one, making the walls tremble. Praise Jesus, praise Jesus, He is Lord, He is Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now that disco was rocking the right way. Kimberly's true diamonds were shining in their father's eyes. I love this story so much. And this is a perfect example of what it means to be a friend of sinners. Reinhard did not like the sin going on in the disco club, but the Holy Spirit burdened his heart for the lost inside and gave him a vision that showed how broken and empty the people were. God gave him a burden and compassion for those young lost club goers. And it motivated Reinhardt to minister to them. And look at the transformation that happened, only God. We have to allow God to give us a heart for the lost. It's not about us loving the world and what's in it. It's about sharing God's burden and heart for the lost because God desires all to come to Him. When we see in scripture where it says, Jesus had great compassion on the people, this word for compassion, or sometimes even sympathy, is actually the Greek word spankmitsamai. It means a deep feeling from within your stomach, a deep pain, a twisting of the intestines. Even when Jesus was exhausted ministering, when the Holy Spirit would give him that feeling deep within him of that pain, that burden for the people he needed ministering to, Jesus would keep going and ministering to them because he would feel God's pain from the very deepest part of himself for the lost and he couldn't stand by and do nothing. That's what we have to have for this world. When we go to minister to sinners, we don't go to participate in what they're doing, to join in the revelry. We go with the heart of God to reach the lost. We go with an intention and a purpose, not to join in, 
but to minister and to transform through the power of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Now I've talked about Jesus being a friend to sinners and we know that he is one. But now I have an important question for you who are watching. Are you a friend to Jesus? In John 15, Jesus says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends, since I have told you everything the Father told me. We have the honor of knowing God and calling Jesus our friend, but are we a true friend to Him? The Bible says if we love Him, we will obey His commandments, and if we lay down our life for Him. But the question is, have you done that? Are you willing to do that? My next question to you is, where does your heart lie? Is there any idolatry there? You see, there's a difference between being a friend to sinners and loving the world. First John 2 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. James 4.4 is very clear. It says, you adulterers, don't you realize a friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you wanna be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. And so my question for you today is this, are you a friend of God or are you an enemy? If we are friends of God, we do not love the world or the things in it, but we share God's heart and burden for the lost. That's the difference. Finally, I wanna encourage you with this important truth that we would love God for His sake, not just ours. I heard this from a life-changing sermon I heard a few years ago, and it changed my perspective forever. The pastor said, we start off as believers loving God for our own sake. We are lost and need His help, and He saves us. We ask God for what we need, and He gives it to us. But there has to come a point in our relationship with God that we don't just love God for our own sake, but that we love God for His sake. We do what He wants because we love Him. This is spiritual maturity. I remember being lost and in my desperation turning to God. I was much like the lost sinners Jesus ministered to in His life on earth. I was at rock bottom and desperate for help. And I knew after trying everything else that He was truly the only solution. I surrendered my life to Him knowing that He could change it, knowing only He could fulfill me. Shortly after I heard this sermon though, I had a total shift. I knew Jesus is the way, but I can't just serve Him for my own well-being. I have to serve Him for His sake, even if it costs me. And so my question that I wanna leave you with today is, do you love God for His sake or for your own? Jesus was a friend to sinners, but the world was not a friend to Him. Those who heard His teachings knew the cost of following Him, but those who chose to follow Jesus willingly paid the price and were honored to follow Him, even if it meant persecution and the world hating them. We have the same privilege to follow Christ today. We can share God's heart for the lost and reach out to the hurting and outcasts of society with the love of Christ and see the world change as the kingdom of God spreads. We have the privilege to call ourselves friends of God. So my question to you is this, can God call you His friend? Hey guys, thank you so much for watching. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And you can follow me on Instagram at Rebecca Lamb Weiss.